Hi, Tommy. Good to have you on the show. Thank you, Hardy. It's great to be here. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm a yoga teacher. I live in Southern California near Los Angeles. And my wife also, Kia Miller, is a yoga teacher. And we practice and study yoga here and teach yoga here. And we travel quite a bit throughout the world teaching yoga. The focus of my work is uh, I work with people who are recovering or in recovery from addictions of all kinds. So drugs, alcohol, food, people, sex, relationships, money, gambling, technology, shopping, all of it. All the places that human beings can get stuck, we work with people and we help them out of those challenges. Got it. So uh, could you please share with our listeners the story behind like how you got involved in all of this and um, why you got involved in all of this in the first mm -hmm. place? Well, I, I struggled uh, really badly in my life around addiction. Uh, for me, particularly drug addiction, heroin addiction, cocaine addiction, alcoholism. Uh, I really... I really went through it myself. How, how did you get involved in all of this, like doing <laughs> those hard drugs? Like, <clears throat> well, and when? And yeah, she shares a story with us. Yes, the the the, the 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 quick answer to your question is the long answer. I've, okay, yes. <laughs> well, I, I'll give you the full story for sure. Yeah, please. <laughs> you want the whole deal? Yep. Uh, it happens. It happens little by little. <laughs> It happens little by little. Mm. Uh, but what I'd like people to understand and, and what I teach is that addiction addiction begins a long time before something like, you know, heroin or, you know, drugs come into the picture. Mm. So I'll give you an example from my life. My uh, just here we are. We'll go all the way to the beginning. Okay. Please. <laughs> okay. Here I am. I'm. I'm in my mother's womb. I'm a fetus. And I'm experiencing my mother's anxiety. Hmm. I'm experiencing my mother's joy. I'm experiencing everything my mother is experiencing through the amniotic fluid that I'm floating around in and I'm, I'm coming online as a human being. And so chemically speaking, my mother's reality is influencing my reality. It really is my reality. What I know about my mom is she was struggling around a lot of emotional issues. She had a lot of challenges in her life when she was carrying me. And her way of dealing with those challenges was to drink alcohol and to smoke cigarettes. And, you know, these days in 2019, we don't think about pregnant mothers smoking through their pregnancy. But that was actually not so abnormal back in the 1960s when my mom uh, was, was carrying me. So she was smoking cigarettes every day and drinking, you know, every day of her pregnancy. And so what I know now is that as a, as a fetus, I was developing a tolerance. I was developing a physical addiction to nicotine and to alcohol for sure. And so after nine months, when I came out into this world, I have to imagine it's always shocking for a child to come into this world. But for me, I think it might have been very, very uncomfortable for those first few weeks. 
as I was literally coming off of nicotine and coming off of alcohol for the first time in nine months. I'd been By born. the way, this perspective is so crazy. I have never thought about it like that. So, okay, I'm I'm glad to give you this this expanded perspective on addiction because this mm. is where this is where people really start to understand themselves more deeply. So I come into the world, and what's going on in my world? Well, I'm glad to be alive. Uh, I'm an infant, right? I I have no recollection. I don't remember any of this. What I what I know from my family telling me stories is that my mother and my father were fighting very badly in my first year of life. When I was about one, one and a half, they would end up getting divorced. So that first year, year and a half was filled with a lot of yelling and screaming, uh, anxiety, fear, hmm. tension. Uh, I have no recollection of this. But these are the stories that came down through my family. But what we know about early childhood is the environment is so important Very to the infant. That's where you develop a sense of calmness or a sense of everything's okay or not. And in my case, it was not. So very, very deep in my psychology. Before I can even remember, precognitive, there's a sense that something's wrong. Now, as I grow up as a, as a small child, I start walking. I can move now. I can get around. And the first place that I can do something to change my own consciousness, the, the first place that I can look to actually shift the way that I feel is food. Ah, so I've got I've got this opportunity. Oh, there's this thing called food. And for me, I found the gateway drug at a very, very young age, the gateway drug. That's sugar. Mm. Sugar is the gateway drug. It's highly addictive, very bad for you. It's not nourishing at any level. And it just creates uh, a rhythm of mm. addiction in your life. So, how old were you back then? Uh, well, we're talking about two, three, four, five years old. Very young. Okay. Super young. I'm just giving you the full story, so you get yeah, a big, an, an understanding of addiction and how it can form in a child. So, my baseline feeling is anxiety. You would not look at me and say, oh, my God, what an anxious child. What you would say is, wow, what a hyperactive kid. <laughs> He's got so much energy. Wow, he, he never stops moving. Wow, he never stops talking. He's, he's so boisterous and he's so uh, attention-seeking. <laughs> so there's, if you look closely and you know what to look for, You would look at me and you would say, this is a child that's hyperactive, that cannot sit still, that is seeking attention, and that is not developing the capacity to relate to himself. Hmm. I'm not building that normal capacity that children can build as they begin to relate to themselves in the world. That's all the way through, you know, zero to 10 and then 10 to even 10 to 20, right? 
Instead, what's happening is I have this baseline discomfort, this anxiety. I reach out, let's say for sugar. I get high. I crash. I come back to, to anxiety. I reach out. I get high. I crash. I come back to anxiety. Now, the thing about that is I will never get to know the real me. I only know me as an anxious person. But what's beneath that anxiety? How, how would I be if I was calm and content? How would I be if I wasn't always trying to solve this anxiety problem that I have? So this is long before drugs, long before alcohol. And so what happens is you start to look everywhere in the world to, to feel better. That looking, I'll look to girls. I mean, even as a young boy, just to flirt with girls as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. We're not talking about anything sexual. Just I notice and I remember I'm very, very aware of the girls in the room. What's that about? Why? Because on a psychological level, I feel like there's something that they can give me to help me feel better and to relieve my sense of anxiety. Hmm. Now, at that time, I'm not aware of my anxiety. I'm happy. I think I'm happy. I'm excited. I want to play sports all the time. I want to be out in the world. And, and you know, people like me and I like people. And that's how I'm being in the world, you know? But what's happening beneath the surface is I, I start to realize a couple of things about myself, even very young. Number one, I realize I can't seem to stop moving unless I get sick. Hmm. And I notice that I'm getting sick more than other kids. Like uh, I'm getting a cold or a flu or I'm getting sick in my lungs like bronchitis, or I'm getting migraine headaches. I'm missing a lot of school. I notice that that's going on. And so this pattern continues. And eventually, somebody introduces uh, cannabis into my life, marijuana, you know? And- uh, How old were you back to me? I was 13. 13. 13 years old, yeah. When you did your first time marijuana, that's I, very I, young. I, I, think, think that's your... I think that's very young. 13, you like, come on, 16, okay, but 13? <laughs> well, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Hmm. I needed something. I really needed relief. And that first time that I got high, I felt like I had found the thing I had always been looking for. Finally, I had been able to really relax. Finally, I could relax. My mind could stop. I could take a deep breath. I mean, imagine never having done that. Hmm. Never having been still long enough just to take one deep breath. And to feel it in your body. So I was able to do that. And I, I was able to laugh. And there was giggles. And, you know, I was with friends. And, and we related to each other around smoking pot. 
and I was with girls and we related to each other around smoking pot. Mm. And all of a sudden, I start to build a life around this substance. Now, Hardy, I do not need to tell you about cocaine, heroin, alcohol, or anything else. It's all the same thing as what I just described to you from when I was a little boy. Anxious, reach out, get high, crash, come back to anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and marijuana, you know, at that point, cannabis was so much fun and I had a love relationship with it. And so it worked for a while. How come? Like, why do you think you were so uh, moved by it? For instance, I think the first time I smoked pot, I was 15 or something like that. And I hated it. Like, really. Yeah. Nothing, I just, I felt sleepy <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, this is stupid. I didn't like it. So yes. why do you think you were so moved by it? Yes, it's, it's a great question. First of all, we, are, we each of us have different constitutions. Chemically, we're different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, in terms of the way we react to things, we're different. Our, our, our gut biome is different. Our heart and our mind are different. Our history is different. Our family is different. Our genetics are different. There's so many things that are uh, unique about each human being. What I felt and what I needed was to calm my hyperactive mind. And since what I was using through my childhood was sugar and activity, I had nothing that actually was working to calm the mind. Cannabis, medically, we know it calms the hyperactive mind. So there was a relevance for me. It was, it was relevant to my life. What I needed, it, it served me at that time. What I did not realize was that to build a life of dependence upon an external substance can never ultimately bring you where you're trying to go as a human being. Probably. It cannot take you there. Uh, It can be helpful to you at points, but to build a life of dependence upon it, uh, not helpful. That's That's my opinion. Other people have different beliefs and different experiences, and I don't discount those those people's experiences. But for me, um, marijuana, cannabis, you know, herb, you know, ganja, mm. uh, whatever your word is for it, uh, it ended up taking away from my life, taking away from my spirit, even though it served me at a certain point. Now, that is the problem with addiction mm-hmm. and addictive behavior. Is in the, there's a famous quote, uh, the chains of habit were too weak to be felt until they were too strong to be broken. Not powerful. And so you begin, it's, it's enjoyable. It's helpful even. And, and, and I, I'm not in a moral issue around cannabis. You know, it's, it's not good, bad, right, wrong. Mm. It has a purpose and a context for some people in some situations in their life. 
By the way, thank you so much for saying that because I was just thinking about one person in my personal life who is very, very close to me. And um, this person is uh, has been smoking pot for 20 years and has a totally normal and perfect social life and isn't doing any drugs whatsoever, drinks alcohol like once in a blue moon and um, very, very normal person. But um, yes. she she just needs it uh, because uh, she feels like stressed out very often and it calms her down. So, so that that's her method. That's her method of navigating stress. By the way, and I think probably there are like other methods that might be quote unquote more healthy, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a good it's a good inquiry, you know. Uh, I, I I'm not I'm not anti anything. Uh, I'm more I'm just more for uh, awareness and consciousness, yeah. and you know. And so what I would say to your friend is, is this working for you? Are you contented in each area in your life? Do you have any desire to see? what your life would be like if you were not using cannabis, mm. maybe in, in engaging in some dietary regimen mixed with meditation, a cardiovascular workout program. Would you like to try that just to sort of see if that could bring you even further mm. along your path? But the person might say, you know, I, I love cannabis like i i have no desire to let go i think so (laughs) and the person isn't working out as well so i think the person (laughs) just (laughs) enjoys it you know but but i i again it's not a each person should have the right to make up their own decisions don't you think yeah so so she needs to um she needs just to be able to be free and to hopefully look at her life and she can make decisions for herself. And I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. <laughs> these are just, these are just ideas that I take from my own personal life. I, I can tell you where I came to with, with cannabis was ultimately I couldn't stop. Hmm. And I actually did want to try to stop doing it. And, and when did you realize that you had a problem? Please speak to that because I yes. think like for, for most people that have quote unquote a bad habit, um, they go on and on and on for a while and then they suddenly realize like, man, this isn't working for me. I should quit this. This isn't good for me. And when did you yeah. realize that th- this I, doesn't serve you at all? So I think I think for I think for everybody, it's actually the same in this respect. When things start to happen in your life that you don't like. Hmm that are a problem for you, maybe a direct consequence of smoking pot or, or doing drugs or whatever it is, then you start to think to yourself, wow, like I kind of see a connection <laughs> yeah. between, between the fact that I smoke pot every day and my lack of motivation. Mm. I see a connection that I'm not completing, <laughs> like I have a goal for myself. Or, or something I want to achieve in my life. And I, I set out to do it. But before I even get any work done, I just smoke a, a couple fat blunts. And the next thing I know, like, I'm not doing any of it. And that's fine for a day. But when that's happening day after day, week after week, month after month, and you're yeah. not, your, your, heart, your heart is saying, create, create, build, do, uh, you know, experience life, go out, try something different, you know, and you're unable to do it. Well, 
that's a problem for me. Like if my heart says one thing, but my behavior is another thing, hmm. that's a problem. And if I, if I try to stop and I can't stop, then I ask myself, okay, who's in control here? Hmm. Where's my power? What happened? I, I mean, I'm, don't I make up my own decisions? <laughs> so how can I say into the mirror today, uh, maybe for 30 days, I'd like, to, I'd like to give up cannabis for 30 days and see what happens, but not be able to do it. Hmm. It's too hard. And, and so that means that I have a habit formed. If it's really ingrained into me, I'll just refer to it as an addiction. Mm. So the definition I use, Hardy, is any behavior you continue despite it brings negative consequences into your life. Mm. Any behavior you continue despite negative consequences coming into your life. So if I can say... I keep smoking cannabis over time. I'm noticing that I don't feel good about myself. Hmm. That's a negative consequence. So what, what I would normally do is say, okay, next time I smoke, I'll try to feel good about myself. Hmm. <laughs> Rather than change the behavior, I'll just try to feel good about myself. And I'll pump myself up. And, and I realize, you know what? I don't feel good about myself because I don't seem to have control. I don't seem to have power. I don't seem to have agency or choice. Mm. I'm not able to make my own decisions. And so I feel at the mercy of something else. Now, when people have this for alcohol, that has a whole nother set of problems that come into the picture. Hats, yeah. problems, work-related yeah. issues. Oh, it's brutal. I mean, you Relationship know. Relationship issues. Oh, It's just, it's just <laughs> awful. And then, of course, when you get into hard drugs, when you get into cocaine or crack, free base. We have to speak to that. We sure. Have, because I think um, there's like this slippery slope argument, but a lot of people are smoking pot. Like, for instance, um, I also think everybody can do what they want. I think smoking pot is silly. I don't want to be like unmotivated and sleepy but um i think a lot of people it helps them it calms them down and there are certain like medical instances where it's helpful i guess but um a lot of people are just using it to chill out and i think it's quite stupid but um mm. most people who smoke pot don't get into hard drugs so how did you get involved into hard drugs so yeah well the way i would look at it Uh, and the way I could I could offer up an idea, a way that people can can understand this idea of slippery slope. For me, the slippery slope is not about a substance. Mm. So it's not, you know, I s smoked cannabis for so many years. And that led into heroin addiction. Okay, got that's, it. That's just, for me, I'm just going to say, for me, that is a, that's a, a misperception. That's, yeah, that's because a, a lot of people make this argument. And there, there are so many instances where it's clearly that um, there is no slippery slope from. Yeah, it's not about substance. Okay. It's about behavior. Hmm. So I told you the behavior. Anxiety. 
reach out for something outside, mm-hmm. get high, crash, return to anxiety. That's the slippery slope. Hmm. When you live your life going from discomfort, seeking the outside world to fix your discomfort, which is inside you, and you repeat that over and over and over and over and over again for a lifetime, eventually, cannabis stops working for you. Hmm. It's just, you realize, oh, I'm still anxious. And you know what I notice about my friends, and I have many who still, you know, smoke pot every day. And what I notice is if they don't smoke pot, their anxiety comes up. Like they get very uncomfortable. They're not able to just sort of be at ease. Mm -hmm. I was not able to be at ease. I so understand. So what happened is I reach out and I look for things, sugar, cannabis, alcohol, sex, money-based addictions. Yeah. I I, I just wanted to mention, like, there are so, so many different vehicles um, where people seek, like, external happiness. Um, People who are, because I'm in the the marketing space and I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs here on the podcast and so, so many people are clearly to me, like, working way too much, like, um, that their, their, their drug is like entrepreneurship and building companies and um, That's right. yeah um so we know we know many people who fall into the trap of if then thinking hmm. so if i have more money if i i build this business <laughs> if i have that girl or yeah. that guy if I have, you know, uh, whatever it is, mm. whatever follows if, then I'll be happy. Then I can relax finally. Then I can really live. And that is that is the slippery slope. Very, 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 very powerful. Because I think our whole society is based upon that. And it's like, it never worked. Like, for instance, I think um, everybody who is listening to this right now doesn't have to believe like Tommy. Like, just look at your own life. When you when you bought your your house or your car, like, you were probably happy for one month and then you were used to it. So uh, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. So. You're, you're welcome. So I, I feel that our, you know, you can say about a heroin addict or a cocaine addict, you know, well, what were they doing before that led to this? Mm. And very few people will say, I'll tell you what they were doing. They made a decision from a very young age to rely upon the external world to fix an internal problem, and it can never be done. Those people, they got into drugs as their method. They're not bad people. They're not good people. They're just people. And what they did was they found something that brought them relief for a period of time, and that became their method. Now, think about this for a moment, Hardy. What about all the people who don't use drugs as their method? That, that wasn't their thing. Hmm. 
What else can they use in the world? Many use different everything, things. Anything. Yeah. Anything that distracts you from the present moment that doesn't further your personal development and, and evolution can become an addictive behavior. So that distraction, uh, I feel uncomfortable, I'd like to be distracted. Okay. Mm. It's okay for to have distractions sometimes. But to rely upon distraction means you're actually not facing something that needs to be faced in order for you to grow, in order for you to be comfortable in your life. And so you see, that's the slippery slope. That's the decision that gets made. It doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. I'm just asking anybody listening to this, you are in charge. Observe your own life. Hmm. Your life is going to show you everything you need. And you just want to be sure that you're able to tell the truth to yourself. You just, that's the single most important thing is you need to be able to see clearly mm. and see what your life is showing you so you can adjust and you can self-reflect and you can self-correct and you can move forward. And that requires, for me, that requires a yoga practice, mm. a meditation practice of awareness. Yeah, and I, I think what's also important to understand is there's no should. Like, I think a lot of people are working their bones off and are working all the time, and it's the right thing to do for them. Like, their family life isn't suffering from it. Their personal life isn't suffering from it. Their health isn't, isn't suffering from it. And it's the right vehicle for them. They are so passionate about building companies and so on yeah. and so forth. But I think also there are a lot of people where it's clearly an issue and they're suffering from all sorts of different problems. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think. Yes. Yes. There's no, there's no one way. Yeah. That's, that's, this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yes. There's no one way. Uh, and if I believe anything, mm. I believe each person needs to be empowered to make good choices for themselves yeah. based upon their own experience and their own beliefs that this is not about somebody telling somebody else what to do. I'm, I'm not here telling somebody, you know, don't smoke cannabis. <laughs> no, that's not my message. <laughs> that's not my message. My message is, my message is wake up, hmm. wake up to your own life, wake up to, your heart, wake up to your spirit, make decisions that are good for you. And if you find that you're making decisions that are bad for you, mm. then admit it to yourself. This is not good for me. I keep doing this mm. and I want to break out of this. And then you ask for help and you get help from somebody who knows how to navigate out of addiction into a better pattern of behavior for you. That's all. And I think we all we all want to grow. We all want to learn. Don't you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So the idea is to uh, break out of the habits that keep us from doing the things that we really, really want to do. Hmm. And this will be a much better world when we all start doing that. So uh, I have to say it. Stop smoking fucking pot. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to lose a lot of listeners. <laughs> <laughs>
my my subscriber base have so <laughs> so um Tommy could you please share with us a moment like um what happened in your life when you realized like because you weren't talking about it like what actually happened right where you realized you have a problem here yeah this this is actually a, a good question to to speak to the folks who who love their cannabis in a way <laughs> see because for me i don't think i ever would have decided <laughs> i don't think i ever would have decided i had a problem hmm. if i was only just doing cannabis even though cannabis was a major problem for me i can see now it it really held me back in so many ways at that point but i would never have admitted it because i could have been functional like your friend you talk about i i could have been functional my whole life i could have made it i could not have excelled in my life for me but i could have made it through i could have i could have gotten through it but i'm not interested in in getting through it i want to thrive and and just excel in every area because it's exciting to be alive you know when i went to treatment to get drug and alcohol treatment at that point i was a full blown heroin and cocaine addict and so a friend said to me as i was walking out the door and i'm going to get treatment i'm going to drug and alcohol treatment my friend says to me you're not going to stop smoking pot are you and i said no treatment center in the world could make me stop smoking pot <laughs> And that's those are my final words. <laughs> I'm still smoking pot, aren't you? <laughs> no, 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 oh no, no. I, I, I should probably tell people I'm. I haven't done any drugs of any kind. No alcohol, no drugs, no marijuana, no cannabis, nothing, for 28 years. That's a very long time. Over 28 years, maybe before you were born. <laughs> yeah, definitely before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not 28 so <laughs> so so uh you know uh the the point there is I uh my final words mm. going to treatment were I'm not letting go of cannabis. Yeah. I'm not I'll <laughs> let go. I see that my problem my problem is cocaine, my problem is heroin, my problem is alcohol, but not the cannabis. I'll go back to that everything will be fine. Do you understand? Yeah, totally. So you see, for me, in my mind, <laughs> my problem was still substance related. Yeah. You know, oh, this substance good, this substance bad. Mm -hmm. I had not yet understand understood that my mind, the way that I think about life, that was the problem. Not, mm. not a substance. You know, you know, so when I knew I had a problem, was really when I started to do cocaine. So so it it never came to you um when you when you were smoking pot and you weren't into hard drugs that you had an actual problem. Like you thought it's just cannabis. I'm just smoking pot. It's no problem. Right. And yeah. I always thought I could stop. Mm. Even though even though when I tried I couldn't do it, I still thought, well, someday <laughs> I'll be able to stop. <laughs> You know? Like everybody, I would say. Like everybody, probably, or most people. Well, 
it's it's complicated because you know my parents I, I had a lot of anger towards my parents and they were just trying to get me to stop smoking pot so the harder they tried to get me to stop the more i wanted to do it you know mm. they should have they <laughs> told me to smoke. yeah they backfired they should have told me to smoke more pot and i probably would have stopped <laughs> you know but <laughs> i i i really recognize that i i saw that i had a problem with cannabis in that I couldn't stop when I wanted to. Okay. I saw that it was taking away from my life, but it was when I got into heavier drugs that I started to realize like, wow, uh, my life is really terrible. Like I am not living a good life. This is terrible. It was so, such a problem and so ugly. And, and and how was your environment like when when you when you got into hard drugs and when you were smoking? Or you you spoken about like how your environment was um, when you were smoking pot, but how did you get involved into hard drugs? Because I think like the the environment is so so important. Because I just I had like a super normal upbringing, beautiful parents, uh, came up in a great neighborhood, so I was never involved in all that stuff. And I think. Um, when I had like, when when I would have been like in, in in a bad neighborhood with terrible friends, maybe I don't know, but maybe I would also have gotten involved in all those different things. But um, yeah, yes. please speak to that. Like, how how did the environment look like? And um, yes, yeah, I'll speak to you about I'll speak to you about my version of addiction mm -hmm. and the environment. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a white male. I grew up in. Uh, a, a well-off family in New York City, United States of America. I have privilege because of that. It needs to be said. And I never wanted for anything material. I had. I went to the best the, the best schools. I I had food to eat. I had a beautiful home and apartment to live in in New York City. Um, so I no crazy neighborhood, bad. Oh no, no, okay. No, 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 no. I lived, I lived, and by the way, my parents, mm -hmm. my parents were amazing people. Mm. Even though they struggled in their own ways emotionally, you have to understand, like they, they were educated, amazing, uh, lovers of life. Mm. My father loved life. My mother loved life, and they were were such wonderful people. They're not here any anymore with us, but they struggled in certain ways that created an environment as a child that was very inconsistent, mm -hmm. uncertain, uh, frightening, even. And and I think that environment, that that disconnection, is what is at the base of my addictive behavior. What makes a person need to reach out? in the way that I did, so, so addictively and so destructively, what, what makes somebody do that is on some deep level, they don't feel well. They just don't feel well. And so I don't blame my parents for that. Hmm. That, that is actually my responsibility as an adult. I have to work that out for myself. It's not their fault, you understand? I had my upbringing, I had my life, they gave me so many things and so many gifts and so much love. I mean, they really loved me, a huge amount of love. 
but the environment I grew up in was just so tense and mm-hmm. difficult. And, and who knows what the karmic, the past life and karmic reality of all this is. I have no idea. I only know that when I grew up, I recognize I came from beautiful environments. I had all kinds of privilege and all kinds of possibility. And I still made choices that were going to destroy my life. And now if I want to make better choices, I would have to change myself. I would have to grow up in every way. Hmm. I would have to resolve my anger. I would have to resolve my resentment. I would have to forgive myself for all the mistakes that I made. And I would have to get involved in life in a way that brought me happiness and contentment. Otherwise, what's the point? Hmm. So the environments of me moving into hard drugs, how did that happen? It was a natural consequence of somebody living the way I was living, thinking the way I was thinking, and being around other people who also were interested in exploring changing the way we felt, changing our emotional state, even changing our consciousness. Because one thing we haven't spoken about is psychedelic drugs. Hmm. And, and that was also a huge part of my story. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's always about, for me, it was always about exploration. Hmm. Ch- change the way we feel. Okay, so one side of it is I feel anxiety. And I want to change that, right? We spoke about it. That's okay. Another side of it, though, which is perfectly healthy and beautiful, is the human being's desire to change our consciousness, to see differently, to experience something else, to to, uh, develop our vision and our intuition. That human desire is, I think, prevalent throughout all societies. And that part of it is not addictive. Mm. It's more exploration. So this is why it's so complicated when we talk about addiction. Because I can tell you on the one hand, yes, I had anxiety. I had difficulty. I had weird uh, uh, challenges in my childhood that caused me to reach out addictively for substances. But I also had a desire for exploration. Hmm. I had a desire to change and to see different things. And to Like I wanna travel all over the world. I've traveled a lot in my life. I, w- I love to see things. I love to experience people. And I love, quote, the psychedelic realm. Meaning, I like seeing beyond the limitations of my mind. It just so happens that thank God I found meditation and I found teachers who could show me how to go beyond the limitation of my mind without any drugs, without any substances. Only using my breath and directing my mind could allow me to be free. Mm. I just didn't have those tools when I was younger. So I went through all of this exploration with psychedelic drugs. And then even after that, despite everything I learned, I still got into cocaine. I still got into heroin. Why? How old were you back then? That was uh, the first time I ever did cocaine. I was 
I want to say 19, 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing that, that's also important for people to understand. I was done using drugs. I got sober when I was 24. So it happened young for me, thank God, because I could have just kept going and going. But no, I reached my bottom and I was ready to change when I was 24 years old. But that, I think, you know, people who listen to this who are into psychedelic drugs or they're into ayahuasca or they're into, uh, you know, medicine ceremonies, like they'll hear me talk and they'll think, oh, my God, this guy, he has no idea what he's talking about because Mm -hmm. he's missing the whole plant kingdom, the whole medicine kingdom. No, not true at all. I absolutely, I appreciate it. I understand its relevance. It was very relevant for me at a certain point in my life. But it is not the thing, ultimately, that is going to set you free. Hmm. It could give you a glimpse of something. It could help you to see a possibility. But when it was over, you still would come back to yourself and you would have to integrate and you would have to implement ways of living in this world one day at a time that made sense to you in your newfound consciousness. You still have to do the work as a human being. You can't get around it. So I understand the relevance of psychedelics for certain people at certain times in certain contexts. And I've seen psychedelics be helpful to people. And I've also seen psychedelics be hurtful to people when they misuse them. And I've talked to quite a few people on the podcast already, um, shamans, uh, researchers who, who've done uh, extensive research on LSD, psilocybin, and all different things. But I love to hear those stories, um, but I have too much respect uh, using those things. So I would now fully admit if I would be using those, but um, I've never used psychedelics or whatsoever, any yeah. hard drugs, just alcohol. I have too much respect for those things. So, yes. <laughs> well, you 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 should have respect for them because they're incredibly powerful substances, and Hardy for for who you are, for how you are. Those are not necessities for you. You you will live to your fullest potential without needing to go down that path. It doesn't call to you. And if someday it did call to you, we could have a different conversation. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's not necessary. Yeah, for me, yeah, totally. Like, um, it's I don't feel the necessity of using them. So uh, that's right. Yeah, I I, I think um, I've I've heard so so many people experiencing so so many different and unbelievable things, and some said it changed their life. But um, yeah, I. I don't feel like uh, I need them, so. <laughs> well, I, I think if you take humanity, humanity as a whole, mm. you could say uh, psychedelics, that kind of exploration is, is supplemental. Mm. It's not elemental, meaning it's big not. Big difference, big difference. Big, huge difference. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not elemental, but it, it is and can be for some people supplemental and, mm. and that's that's really where the you know i, I like this distinction it's a great distinction never heard it before so 
Well, I think, you know, this is where people, listen, if you were speaking to me mm-hmm. when I was in the middle of using psychedelics, if I heard myself speak right now, Fuck this guy. This guy's an asshole. <laughs> this guy, what the hell does he know? He knows nothing about this. You know? And so when I speak to people, you know, when I speak to people who are really, <laughs> they're really excited about their psychedelic use or they're really into ayahuasca, you know, uh, I tell them, I was like, look, I'm not against you. I'm not against you. I'm not telling you what to do. I, I'm, not, I'm not even interested in changing your life or your path in any way. <laughs> I want you to have the freedom to make up your own mind. And can't, can't we have enough room between us that we could each have an opinion without being threatened by the other person's opinion? Hmm. And, and, and what I would finally say is, listen, You've taken a lot of psychedelics. I've taken a lot of psychedelics. If we can't do it, what does that say about psychedelics? <laughs> if we can't find common ground, if we can't allow each other to be authentically ourselves, what does that say about where we've gotten to? You know, <laughs> we yeah. have to give each other the space. This is very important. Hmm. Totally agree with you on that. So, um, could you please share with our story, uh, with our listeners, um, when did you had the feeling you need to change something in your life before you went into the into the treatment? So, we talk a lot about having a bottom, a bottom when things in your life are so bad that you you see yourself clearly hmm. you see you can't glamorize it anymore you can't deny that there's a major problem for me when you're getting into when i was getting into very heavy drugs i knew that i was threatening my life at that point it's no longer partying It's no longer, you know, social. This is more like, okay, I'm really in trouble now. It's beyond, it's beyond any, any question that this behavior is not okay. To be staying up all night doing coke, the only way you can go to sleep is to take drugs, other heavier drugs that will put you to sleep. And what were you doing like at this point? Were you studying or yeah. working? Or, okay. So I, I, was in, uh, I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in my third year of college and I was just, I mean, you couldn't even say I was in college, although I, that's, I was in college, but I wasn't in college. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, was, I was just existing. You know, I would, maybe I would get to a class. A week. How did your day look like? Yeah. Speak to that. Like. Yeah. My day, uh, after a day of partying, a hmm. night of partying, I would maybe wake up at 11 o'clock. Um, smoke some pot, go out and eat breakfast, um, go back home, uh, maybe call somebody who wanted to hang out, maybe smoke some more pot, uh, you know, 
maybe go to a class if if I could sort of you know <laughs> cope with it like and handle the fact that I hadn't done any work and was behind everybody else um and really wasn't doing anything so it was just a just a really awful non kind of a non-existence you might say I was living pretty much to get high and then certainly I would be pursuing girls so most of the day most of the day I would be pursuing somebody hey let's hang out later hey you want to get together hey let's you know kick back now for a little while I could I could be successful with that and somebody would hang out you know but when you get into heavy heavy drugs really the only people the only girls that would hang out with me were other girls who were into heavy heavy drugs or mm. nobody because there's nobody no normal person would hang out with me because i had lost all of my grace i lost all my power um and i was just just living to get high pretty much so at the end that's kind of what it's like and you you do that for a while and then other other parts of me, I, I remember, would call to me. The parts of me that like to do and, and wait, so, Sorry to interrupt, but um, sure. we're like high at family dinners and get-togethers and um, on drugs when you were like uh, in, in, in bitch and yeah. And, and, point, and please continue. Yeah. By this point, I tried to stay away from my family as much as possible. <laughs> so it wasn't like... I was going home or had a regular relationship with my parents. By this point, it was like they 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 knew I had a problem and and I knew enough to stay away from them as much as I possibly could. And, and did they know how bad it was? No. Okay. No, they did not understand how bad it was. They knew Anybody? I had a problem. Uh, no, nobody in my family had any imagination that I could be as bad as I was. No, I had, I hid it from That's them. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's that, there's that disconnection. Mm. In point of fact, my family care about me very much. They always have cared about me very much. But for me, it was like, they're going to get in the way of, of me and my drugs. <laughs> and I, I can't have it. Plus there was a feeling of, they don't understand me. Um, plus there was a feeling of shame uh, plus there was a feeling of I'm doing nothing with my life. And, uh, I mean, I was just, there's, my behavior was not leading anywhere. So you're in the middle of all that feeling very difficult place to be every now and then the, the part of me that still wanted to be alive, my athletics would come in. And so truly, this is a true story. Please. In the middle, in the middle of one of my worst cocaine binges, <laughs> this period, I decided that I was going to run a foot race, a very famous foot race in Boulder, Colorado, called the Boulder Boulder. And clearly I was in terrible shape, <laughs> but I actually started to do like hiking up very steep uh, hikes and I would hike to prepare for this race. And uh, the day of the race came and I ran it and I actually completed this race. It's something I had wanted to do every year, but I had never gotten it together to do it. I just couldn't get it together. 
but I was so desperate to do something of meaning, to do something that was decent, that I ran this race. When it was over, I went home. And the way they would do the race is all the amateurs like me, you know, normal people would run first. And then later on in the day, they'd have the pros run the race. And so the pros came out and I watched on TV. I watched the elite runners run it, run the race that I had just run. And I was watching TV and I just broke down crying. Just couldn't believe that I had run this race. I couldn't believe how fucked up my life was. I just had nothing going for me and I was so alone. And, I, and the race was over and I'd run this race. And, but I knew that I had, I, I was just in so much trouble. Hmm. And that was, that was two months before my last, before I had to go to treatment and get sober. And, and <clears throat> could you please speak about like, how were you feeling at this point in your life? when you realize, man, this isn't working for me. And how are you feeling now when you are reflecting on those things yeah. and stories that you've shared with us today? Yeah. Well, how I was feeling then was desperate. Hmm. Running out of options. Very alone. Starting to realize I, I might not be able to get out of this. I really might not be able to get out of this. It was a very painful realization that I have made decisions that place me in this position and I might not be able to make decisions that can get me out of this trouble. Hmm. And I started to think every day like, God, who could help me? Who could help me? I'm so alone. I can't call my parents. I cannot tell my family how bad things are. You know, just stuck. Yeah, stuck, feeling so shame. Stuck. So I cannot do it. And that shame and that secrecy has killed many people. Yeah. Many people. I got very lucky. But how do I feel now and reflecting on this, you know? <sighs> I feel blessed. I feel so blessed. Because what, what happened... And what happens is your instinct is correct. You can't do anything to get yourself out of it. You're going to have to have help. And so in order to have help, you have to surrender and open yourself to help. Some people talk about, you know, surrendering to God. Hmm. Okay, that's fine. If that's your language, it doesn't, it, it works. Surrendering to great spirit, surrendering to a uh, higher power, surrendering to the medicine, hmm. surrendering to whatever it is. But I had to get help. And the way that help showed up for me was other people. And so I feel blessed because it wasn't. It wasn't through my own effort that I was able to heal and then excel in life. It was through help from other people. <laughs> and so I'm blessed 
so blessed to have had that help and to have reached a level of pain that was so unbearable for me that I could surrender. Hmm. And I never, like I told you earlier, I never would have surrendered if it was just cannabis. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so grateful to have reached a point of surrender where it got bad enough for me that I could really change and heal my life. Hmm. Tommy, so um, before we are talking about how you are currently helping people from all over the world recover from their addictions, could you please speak about your recovery process back then? And um, yeah. Yes. So back then, uh, it was pretty simple. You know, we're talking about 1989. Hmm. And in 1989, I still uh, wasn't born then. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, pretty much, um, there were a few options for people like me. Mm. If you had insurance or you had money, you could go to treatment and you could go to good treatment. And I went to good treatment. I was very lucky. I went to Hazelden, which is a treatment center up in Minnesota in, in the Northern United States. And You stay there, you know, somewhere around 30 days. So that's just the first part of treatment. Mm -hmm. It's not like I could heal an entire lifetime in 30 days. And yeah. that's very key. That's the, that's the main key that people need to realize is when you get out of treatment, that's when most people start using drugs again. Mm. So what happened for me, I'm going to make a, this is a very, very, very long story, which Please. I will. I will, I will tell you a short, a shortened version of it, which would still hopefully hit home for people. Uh, so there's something called the 12 steps and 12 step programs. These started in 1935 or so. A book came out in 1939 called The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Originally, it was just about stopping drinking and becoming sober and living a, a, a life of service. And over the last 80 years, programs have developed based on the 12 steps, addressing every form of addiction and every kind of human problem. I think there are over 200 different programs that have adopted the 12 steps as the particular way that they achieve healing. So Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, uh, uh, Marijuana Anonymous, Families Anonymous for, for people who are Uh, struggling with loved ones with addiction. Every, every kind of program you could imagine. And I started my counselors at treatment. They said to me, you need to go. You need to go. And so I chose Alcoholics Anonymous at that time. And I went. And I did the 12 steps. I did the work. There's reading and there's writing and there's exercises and you're working with what's called a sponsor. I worked with a sponsor and he, he guided me through those steps. And my life changed for real. I had a spiritual experience. Speak to that. The, the way that spiritual experience worked for me was I went from a person who could not imagine a day without drugs to a person who could not imagine a day with drugs. That's how profound 
that shift was. And it took about I, it took about a year to a year and a half of me steadily going to meetings, talking to people, working with people, getting help, telling people about what was coming up for me in my life, the challenges I was having with jobs or girls or family or whatever I was going through. And I shared honestly. And I found a group of people that were willing to, to help me and I was willing to help them when I could. And, and healing took place. Uh, a massive shift took place. And while all that was going on, I started practicing yoga. And I had a whole nother set of teachings coming in from teachers and from movement and sweating, detoxing on the mat, uh, moving my body in certain ways that could help me to be free. Physically free, but also mentally free, emotionally free. And so the 12 steps, a lot of honesty, a lot of reading and a lot of writing and yoga and meditation were the methods that brought about this just profound change in my life. And I now understand that anybody, anybody who embraces these modalities can recover from addiction no matter how bad you've gotten. You can recover. Uh, it doesn't matter if you tried a thousand times like I had tried and you couldn't stop. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You, you, you ask for help. You get help. And then one day at a time, you begin to tell the truth. You begin to explore your life. You begin to see what's coming up for you. And you share it honestly and openly with other people. You get support. You change your body and your breath. You change the rhythm of your life. So the rhythm of my life was anxiety. Reach out, get high, crash. Come back to anxiety. Now, the rhythm of life becomes be in a state of comfort. Reach out to other people to help them also be comfortable. Maintain your state of comfort. Visit excitement every now and then, come back to contentment. Visit excitement, come back to contentment. Work the body, sweat every day. Work the mind, meditate every day. Eat good food, enjoy your life. Be creative, be involved in life. And the most extraordinary things come to pass. Beyond your wildest imagination, just the most extraordinary things. So uh, when did you realize that you are fully recovered? Mm. So that's a, that's a very loaded question. Uh, in, in recovery circles, people don't like, to, like to talk about being fully recovered. But <laughs> I, <know> I, <laughs> I, I, love, I love talking about being fully recovered. So... Let's investigate this. <laughs> What am I fully recovered from? Well, I no longer think about drugs. I'm not interested. I'm not worried about it. I mean, it's been almost three decades. I don't, I don't, I never have a craving for drugs or alcohol. Um, 
I spend my life trying to help. And, and, and by the way, uh, sorry to interrupt again, sure. but um, are you too scared using drugs now because you get addicted or aren't you just interested at all? And please continue. It's the wrong question. <laughs> It's the wrong question. The question is, why would I hmm. choose to engage in a behavior that I know from personal experience will close my vision, hmm. that will limit my awareness, hmm. that will limit my consciousness? Why would I engage in a behavior that would be toxic to my body, toxic to my mind? Hmm. That's the question. Hmm. Not now that you're recovered, can't you, you know, can't <laughs> have you have a, a yeah. glass of wine? Can't yeah. you have a beer? <laughs> you know, <laughs> can't you smoke a fat joint? <laughs> of course I could. <laughs> Does it mean I would I would die from it or I'd become addicted again? It's the wrong question. Mm. Powerful. The only the only thing that matters is just like for you, mm. for anybody listening, the only question that should matter is is this behavior that I'm engaged in promoting me? Mm. Or is it demoting me? Is this behavior going to lead me into comfort, into bliss, into awareness, into consciousness? Or will it give me short-term feeling of bliss where I have to pay a bigger price in the long term? Like the way I used to feel when I smoked cannabis. Short-term short bliss, short-term relief, short-term happy, mm. long-term pain. Stay stuck. Long-term pain, no good. Short-term gain, long-term loss, no good. I want to live short-term gain, long-term gain. Hmm. Term gain, long-term gain. How do I do that? Meditate. Practice yoga. Move my body. Be with my incredible wife. Be with my incredible friends. Go outside into nature. Go enjoy the day. Hmm. Write something fun. Write some poetry. Write something that's meaningful. Share it with people. You know, that's me. I love doing that. So it, it, the question is always, is this good for me? Is this helping me? And if the answer is, I know this is not helping me, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> then you and me, we have something in common. Got it. So, so, so what I want to say is <laughs> I've recovered. I'm a recovered drug addict. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I recovered from those issues. It doesn't mean now I can drink. Now I can use drugs and it, it won't kill me. Hmm. It means I wouldn't even think of it hmm. because it's not good for me. And it won't lead me to where I need to go. Anybody else? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. So I'm free from those things. I don't worry about them. 
and they they have no they have no relevance in my life any longer. But other addictions and other addictive energies, I still have to be mindful. I still have to be mindful of not to fall back into those behaviors. Acting out with women, I always need to be conscious. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a married man, so happy, so happy in my ma- in my marriage. And I also am aware of all the temptations out in the world. So I have to be mindful. I have to be very careful. Where else? All the all the mental the mental addictions, negative thinking, ju- judgment. How about that? Very painful. I don't want to be in a negative mindset. I have to do things every day to make sure to keep my vibe. My vibe. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to do things every day to keep my vibration high. Mm. Every day. And I want to stay out of, um, you know, any form of, of distraction that becomes addiction. So my job is to center myself. My job is to strengthen this body. My, do- my job is to contribute wherever I can in this world. And also to have fun and relax. We must not forget that life is partially about that. Hmm. But I am still a human being. I'm a work in progress. I have I make mistakes all the time. Just like all human beings. I have to be conscious when I make mistakes and try to fix them. Try to learn from them. And give myself a break. Forgive myself be free. So I'm not recovered from the human condition. (laughs) I think nobody is probably. (laughs) So, so could you please share with our listeners the story behind like how you went from a recovered drug addict to what you are currently doing? Sure. So recovery for me has been a multiple stage process. Hmm. First stage was, I told you about just my bottom, admitting that I had a problem, mm-hmm. asking for help, going to treatment, working the 12 steps, then yoga, and learning how to pay attention to my life in a more conscious way, making, like I said, a lot of mistakes, but learning from the mistakes and moving forward and growing little by little. Then The second like major phase or third maybe major phase of my recovery was working one-on-one with a teacher, a spiritual teacher. And this is my life teacher. His name is Guru Prem. Mm -hmm. Guru Prem. He lives in, in, in Los Angeles where I live and we see each other quite often. But he was the first man that I was around who had true contentment. He sincerely was content in his heart. And I had not really experienced What do you mean by that? He was at ease. Hmm. He was experiencing peace within himself. Maybe it was the, the general way that he was, was peaceful. Hmm. The general way that I had been, as I mentioned, was anxiety. 
So to see another person really, really be peaceful, mm. that was very attractive to me. Very attractive. And so I started to work with him. And he showed me a way to look at life, which was peaceful. And he taught me what I call, what he calls Kundalini Yoga. Mm -hmm. Kundalini Yoga. Taught me how to breathe, how to use my breath to unlock different powers in the body, powers of healing, powers of presence, powers of intuition. Taught me how to move my body to strengthen in ways that I had never learned before. And I worked with him for years. And now my work in the world is taking everything I learned from him, but also from the 12 steps, from the path of yoga, and all the spiritual traditions that I've explored, and presenting them to people to be able to walk a new path for themselves, which leads out of addiction towards greater health, and to be able to excel in every area of life. So that's the work of Recovery 2.0. That's my organization, Recovery 2.0, meaning that next level, the next step, the next thing you can do to continue to grow and continue to learn. But when did you start the organization? Uh, I started uh, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of 2013. So we're just coming up on seven years now. And... What we do is we, we have a lot of online offerings and courses, and we have a lot of live retreats and workshops around the world, and people can come join us and study with us. And basically what we do is we practice yoga, we meditate, we eat incredible food, we talk about recovery and philosophy, and we, we build community and joy in some beautiful places around the world together. Mm. That's what we do. Got it. Yeah. So um... we, we have fun. <laughs> yeah, you shared uh, a couple of um, things that people could do to change their life. But what are what are a few things that you are saying are very transformative and very powerful that most people um, disagree with you on? Mm. Well, I don't know about people disagreeing, but I'd say people still don't fully understand the power of their own breath. Their own breathing process. That it all begins with the breath. And everything you do can be done better if you learn how to use breath techniques. It's, I can't put it any more plainly than that. And most people, you know, like me, just we, we don't realize if you feel anxious, you're not breathing well. Right in the moment, you're not breathing well. And if you change your breath just right now, when you feel anxious, you just take three breaths in the, in the nose, out the nose, as slow as you can. You take your time after those three breaths are over. Your anxiety has gone down. It doesn't mean your life is healed yet. <laughs> it means <Probably> not. <laughs> it simply means that you.
can control your emotional state <laughs> in the present moment. So it begins with the breath. And most people, you know, are not working on a daily mm. basis with really improving the way that they breathe. Yeah, and like you've mentioned, eating quality food is also, I think, really important. Like nowadays, people are eating like way too much McDonald's and junk food and have terrible sleep patterns and uh, eating habits. And I think mm. those things uh, probably fixes a million different other issues in one's life. I think that's absolutely correct. We, we emphasize diet a lot in Recovery 2.0. Mm. Uh, we also emphasize rhythm rhythm mm -hmm. so the rhythm of your life is connected to your breath what what do you mean by rhythm like having a routine or uh, i like that i like mm -hmm. that let's just say uh, a routine so you can have beginning with the breath you'll have a routine so i breathe deeply and i breathe steadily i breathe equally on the inhale and the exhale and i'm starting to set up a rhythm mm -hmm. of breath i wake up do my morning practice I go to bed, I do my evening practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I go to bed, generally speaking, the same time. I wake up, generally speaking, the same time. It doesn't mean I, I, I don't have a late night out. Yeah. I do, because I love life. And sometimes I go out and see some incredible live music or see, go see some show or some concert, go boogie, go dance, you know, and, and that's all beautiful. But generally speaking, there's a rhythm to the day. Hmm. I like to sweat every day. I like to do breath work every day. I eat really, really good food, and I do eat about three meals a day. I eat those three meals within the same 12-hour window pretty much every day. And the other 12 hours of the day, I don't eat. So I've set up a rhythm for my life that really works for me. Hmm. And, and what happens when you get in a rhythm is, You start to become uh, aware of when you can be creative, like when you, you can do work and do different things. Like for me, as an entrepreneur, I know that I'm very creative in the morning. Hmm. The afternoon is, is better for me to be outside, be out in nature, go for your walks, hmm. go to the gym, go to a yoga class. You know, that's the afternoon. The morning is really good creative time for me. So if I can do my work really from say seven in the morning to like noon or one, hmm. and then you know have some lunch, and then just go out and relax. Like that's a beautiful rhythm for me. I don't work all the time, but I work hard. I have a mission and I am trying to work with as many people as possible. So I have to be careful of workaholism. I have to be careful of that, that version of addiction. And I also realize that sometimes if I have a deadline or a project, maybe I'm working very long hours and my schedule and my routine will shift. I know it's coming and that's mm. okay. That's okay. I can allow that. I'm flexible. I'm flexible within a general routine. Do you understand? Yeah, totally. It's very important because some people get in a routine and they're like, 
you know, I, I, I can't do anything outside of this routine. Yeah, it's so silly. For instance, so, so many people that are going to the gym and they take it super, super seriously and they can never, they can never miss a day in the gym. And I think yes. it's like, if it's, if it's like every week, okay, you should probably think about it. But if it happens like every once in a blue moon, like who cares? So, yes, I think, I think it's, uh, you know, I believe in steadiness. Yeah. But I Me also too. believe in flexibility. Mm. You, you have to be able yeah. to move with the rhythm of life. Life is going to happen without you. So you, you can't control the rhythm of life. Mm. You can control your reaction to the rhythm of life. So you set up a routine, a container, a rhythm for you, mm. and then you move with the rhythm of life. And then <laughs> good things happen. And, and, and Tommy, I'm so glad that you've mentioned that you found out that your routine is working for yourself. And I think it's so important to highlight here. I think um, there's a trend nowadays on social media that I think is very stupid, that mm. a lot of people are trying to copy the routines of quote-unquote successful people, and they're trying to force themselves to act a certain way or to have mm. certain habits. And I think it's very important to understand for yourself when you are the most energetic when the best time is for you to work out or study or be creative and so on and so forth and i think yes. um, yeah it's quite silly to copy other morning routines or evening routines and you need to find out for yourself what works for for you so uh yeah yes so thank you mm -hmm. uh I, i think it's it's critically important that each of us become our own scientist yeah And That's a good gonna, way to put it. A very good be, way to put it. We're going to be the scientist of our own life. Nobody can actually tell you what to eat, what yeah. the best diet is for you. Nobody except you. And you can only learn by experimenting and trying. Hmm. People say, you know, I, we offer a food program at Recovery 2.0 every year. And people are like, okay, so tell me what to do. <laughs> and the first lesson is, I have no idea what you should do. <laughs> and they're like, and, and by the way, thank you so much for being honest because so, so many people are handing people the perfect diet plan and the perfect exercise plan. And I think it's all garbage. So thank you so much for being honest. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, no, we can't know what someone else uh, can do or needs to do. But what we can do is we can help them to explore. Hmm. We can support them in their own exploration. And that's the point. That's the point of life, by the way. Uh, and for anybody who's interested in being in a long-term relationship with somebody, that is the point, is you're not telling somebody how to be or how to change, <laughs> especially not your husband or wife or partner <laughs> or spouse or whatever. You're, what you're doing is you're supporting them in their own exploration of life. Mm. And things go really well when you adopt that attitude. And I think As final words, because uh, I, yeah. I do need to go if that's okay. Sure, sure. So, so some final words for people. Uh, remember that you can recover from addiction. Mm. Remember that it requires three things. One, a teaching and a teacher, right? So that's one thing, a teaching and a teacher. Second thing is um, uh, a community. You have to have a community. So teacher. The teaching, the community, critically important. And the, the third ingredient or the next ingredient that I, I would say is critically important is 
you have to be able to tell the truth to yourself. If you can do that, then, then you can recover from anything and you can live the life that you were meant to live and, and be free from addiction and, and thrive in every area. So I, I hope people will consider the things that we've talked about. And uh, rather than trying to fight with me or, or, or argue or, or, you know, nobody's trying to get you to believe anything. Hmm. Only trying to get you to look at your own life and explore for yourself what you think would be the best way forward. The, the people that, that love pot too much, we already lost them, I think. So, <laughs> Tommy, at the end, I always ask five very, very quick and short questions. So, do you have still time for them? Like sure. very quick. Yeah, okay. So, could you please tell everybody where can they connect with you on the social reps and work with you and so on and sure. so forth? So, you can check out r20.com. That's the letter R, the number two, the number zero.com. Uh, you can also check out TommyRosen.com as well. Um, so you and you'll find us on all social media platforms under either Recovery 2.0 or Tommy Rosen. Well, the first out of the five question is: um, What are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Mm. So certainly the the Yoga Sutras uh, of Patanjali, uh, which have been interpreted by many many different people. I like many, many of those interpretations. But so I'm just going to say one book is the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Mm -hmm. People can look up uh, look up uh, the different interpretations and, and translations and see what's best for you. Uh, one of my favorite interpretations is the work of the Himalayan Institute. Um, the head of the Himalayan Institute is Pandit uh, Rajmani Tigunayat. Mm -hmm. And he, he's written two books on the Yoga Sutras. Uh, one is, I, I believe it's, it's under the, the title of The Secret of the Yoga Sutra. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and those books are worth looking into. Very thorough, very powerful. Um, second book, uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. So that, that book, oh my God, it's just mind-blowing. If you, if you grasp the concepts in A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, I don't feel like you really need another book. If you get if you get that book, I think you're pretty good. Um, and then I, I really love the book uh, Siddhartha by, oh, by Herman Hesse. It's, it's just one book. of my favorite books. I <laughs> love it. It's, yeah. I, I read it in German, so so yeah. special. Very. Awesome yeah, you, you got to read it in the original language. It's <laughs> That's good. So yeah. um, the second question is. Um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, so let's see. Uh, okay, so without question, I'm going to mention Three Days of the Condor. <laughs> three Days of the Condor is an old spy film mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway. And just it's one of the great, great stories, very relevant even for today. An amazing story. So, Three Days of the Condor uh, movies. Okay, I'm gonna sh I'm gonna tell you that Mary Poppins, <laughs> Mary Poppins is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, every time I see it, I cry. Can't help it. It was it was there in my childhood, and I'm talking about the original Mary Poppins, mm -hmm. the original one. Um, so yeah, incredibly powerful movie for me, and also uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. 
filled, <laughs> yeah. filled with great lessons, great visuals, an amazing story, amazing character. Yeah, beautiful. Let's go with that. <laughs> so the third question is, um, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? For me, it's always going to have to do with, with moving the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, uh, yoga. So yoga memberships at, at certain gyms. Uh, uh, gym membership at Equinox. Uh, that's a gym in the United States, maybe internationally. I'm not sure, but, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that for sure, uh, having a membership, uh, to a, a facility where I can move the body and get around other people who are, are interested in health and wellness. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Uh, I might also add to that, um, the recovery 2.0 membership, even though I'm the founder and not a member, uh, it's, it's very valuable, uh, in so many different ways. So um, the first question is, uh, what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And some guests shared something deeply personal about their life, relationships, time, travel. So speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us. Sure. Well, um, I understand now that anywhere I end up in the physical world, is a consequence of my state of consciousness. So if I want to end up in better environments and better places, then I need to build and expand upon my consciousness. I can build and expand upon my consciousness through the path of yoga and meditation. So that will deliver me to the places that I need to be in the world. So I never have to think, Am I in the right place? Hmm. Is this the right place? Am I with the right people? Am I doing the right thing? So that, that is a profound teaching for me, um, which has really shown me just deal with your consciousness. Work on that. And everything else will work itself out based upon that. So that's been a profound teaching. Did you, did you want another one? No, one is, one is good enough. Okay. So um, the last question for the day is, um, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? My 20-year-old self? Hmm. Yes. I would say, well, my 20-year-old self was really in trouble. <laughs> my, my, yeah. my, my, I agree my, with that. <laughs> <laughs> My 20-year-old self was really in trouble. So I would say, I would say, your dreams and your hopes can come true. You are in the way. Hmm. You have to sit down and be still. And you have to let other people help you. And you'll learn how to get out of your own way and let the universe help you. Stop fighting. Stop resisting everybody and everything. Just before you argue, before you fight, just think for a minute, maybe this person wants to help me. 
Maybe it's not me against the world. Maybe there's a way for me to experience true joy and true bliss in this world without drugs and alcohol. Maybe the drugs and alcohol are actually getting in the way. That's what I would say to my 20-year-old self. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for your vulnerability, sharing your story, sharing your advice for us. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Hardy. I'm so grateful. I really appreciate you asking me to be with you today. <laughs> thank you so much and have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out. <laughs>